Welcome to Carbon Times. As the global drive towards creating a more sustainable world for us all continues to gain pace, our goal is to create interesting content where we will speak to people from across all sectors on what can drive sustainability in everything that we do. We are inviting interesting guests along to talk to us about their experiences and what they are doing to share knowledge, experience, innovation and ambitions. As ever, we want to get everybody talking. We all have a responsibility to create a more sustainable world. Air pollution consists of chemicals or particles in the atmosphere that pose serious health and environmental threats. But what causes air pollution and what does it mean for our planet? Some air pollution comes from natural sources like volcanic eruptions, wildfires, or allergens. But most air pollution results from human activities such as energy use and agriculture. There are different types of human-made air pollution. When we burn fossil fuels to produce energy, they release greenhouse gases into the air. These emissions, such as carbon dioxide, methane, nitrous oxide, and fluorinated gases, trap heat from the sun in Earth's atmosphere, leading to a rise in global temperatures. Welcome back to the Carbon Times podcast. Thank you for joining us again. Today, we are joined by Tom from Compare. Compare are taking a unique approach to protecting communities from air pollution. They provide a detailed early warning system aimed at pinpointing pollution problems faster and more precisely. Welcome along, Tom. How are you? Very well, Paul. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Always delighted to speak to people who are driving forward innovation in the space. So let's get straight into it then. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, a bit about your background, where you come from? Sure. So, yeah, so Tom King, I'm one of the founding team at Compare. My background, I've largely been working in technology startups since I left university in a range of different industries, from telecoms to app development. I also have been working in an innovation consulting company for a while, so applying my knowledge about how you build businesses to much larger corporates, and that took me into all sorts of spaces. And that's really where I found my love for sustainability. And off the back of that, I started a business during lockdown, got investment from a tech for good investor, and that's where I met Guy and Mike, who are the well, the co-founders of Compare. And I joined about eight, nine months in, really to help build more of a strategy for Compare. I would say we started life with a solution looking for a problem, which goes completely against all of the theory and good practice I'd seen in the previous five, six years. So it was a good challenge coming into the business. Yeah, I'm sure I can tell you about where we've got to from there. So a problem that that I guess you knew existed, knew it was there. There's an interesting route, isn't it, to be able to connect it then to the world rather than the other way around. Yeah, it's probably not the route that most would advise taking, but you've got to start with a startup. You can't overthink these things. You've just got to get moving. And Guy and Mike had a background in manufacturing and they really put the problem out to UCL. So some contacts out at UCL and said, look, we're looking to help people better understand this air pollution, air quality problem. And they came up with a piece of technology. And we, off the back of that, we've gone, well, we've looked at the market, we've looked at who in this world is probably 
one of the largest, well, who are the largest contributors to this problem, who are probably having the biggest impact on people's lives and who want to do something about it. And really those three kind of tick boxes were what led us to focusing on the construction industry and the housing space and particularly social housing as our two main focus areas. Excellent. Before we move on a bit more detail about Compare itself, you said something interesting in your introduction there, where you said working with some of the bigger corporate organisations and, you know, helping them through that business structure and applying that kind of skill that you have in that context linked you with sustainability, because something in my mind, and that I've seen really, you know, working for, again, big corporate, small businesses over the last kind of 10 years, that this is one agenda, sustainability in itself, that really resonates and connects with people like nothing else that I've experienced mm-hmm. before. You know, like I've got, you know, you, you sort of, if you think about a corporate world and you've got your legal department, your HR department, your sales department, you know, et cetera, et cetera, that they all had interlinkage mainly through finance and you know financial control to one degree but there's not been anything else I suppose aside from like fire wardens where you've got a nice coat to wear (laughs) in the office but aside from that there's not been a similar agenda that connects every part of the business and you could you could appoint someone to head up the kind of sustainability role in every department and mean something and resonate with everyone is that kind of a similar experience Yeah, sustainability is just something which every company obviously is like really waking up to. I think it's on par with profit these days. People understand that a business needs to make some money, but people understand this business needs to be sustainable in the kind of social environmental sense. And we saw so much. There's a couple of things which it really helps with. One is getting interest from other parts of the business. I think everyone can be very heads down working in their silo when it comes to sustainability everyone's willing to give a little bit more and it just helps the kind of projects that we work on get a lot more traction well get a lot more support from the very very top and as soon as you put the ceo's name and their signature on a project it happens but also working with other departments everyone can understand the value of doing it and their role in helping it happen so yeah i think it's been it's been really interesting to see the uptake and the change of people's approach to innovation especially sustainable innovation it's quite a fun world i think in that space at the moment yeah i keep saying to people you know having worked in you know sustainability and and real estate for a long time that you know trying to have these conversations even five years ago you know you'd still get people sort of going yeah one day and you know sort of walking away while you sit there trying to still get the message (laughs) across but it's definitely you know now people are coming to me and asking me the questions that i've been trying to get them to discuss so it's nice it's a nice yeah 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 the table of turn. I think people are seeing also an opportunity for themselves to become a leader through understanding sustainability in business, which again, has got to be a great thing. Yeah. The more of that, you know, sort of, especially in the corporate world, because it tends to be, you know, sort of my generation and above really that sit in the senior roles <laughs> in those businesses still, you know, and we definitely need the help of younger people like yourself and the others out there that are driving you know the right messaging and doing things the right way and making you know sort of making you look bad I guess to some degree you know it's yeah yeah I find at the moment so that moves us on nicely then to the product itself so we've had a little introduction in terms of what it is but give us the journey what's sort of an A to Z of what you do Sure. So as I mentioned, this company is really born out of a research project with UCL and they helped us look at how we can make air quality monitoring a lot more accessible in terms of cost 
and deployability. Like, I mean, like air quality monitoring isn't really isn't anything new as a topic. So councils have been doing it for years. Construction companies have been doing it for 20 so years. But the technology today has been, the focus has been on accuracy. And that means we've had companies building very, very accurate, yet very, very expensive and power hungry piece of technology. And on a construction site, these companies work at a couple of percent profit. They can't afford to spend a hundred grand on air quality monitoring on most sites. And therefore monitoring is basically saved for the few sites that are very high profile, say in the middle of London, they've got a lot of people living nearby, a lot of eyes on them. And so for the most sites, I think we guess around like 95% or so of sites aren't being monitored. Mm-hmm. So it's like, how can we make some technology which is affordable that allows monitoring to be done almost as standard on every site? So, so off the back of the UCL work, we had a piece of kit which we could show, can sample the air every minute, can send us data, basically an Excel format. And over the next six months or so of joining, we've turned it more into a product. So we've looked at how... Well, if you imagine a dozen of these little monitors spread across a construction site, like a little network, and you can use the analogy of like turning up the resolution on a picture. If you just had one of these monitors in the middle of a site, just telling you really accurately what the air quality is, it'd be useful, but it would just tell you what's happening on that one part of the site. Mm. Whereas our monitors, if you have, say, 10, 12 of them, you're like turning up the resolution on a picture and you can suddenly see what's in this picture and what's happening. So we started to play around with that with a couple of construction companies. We started to see that certain parts of construction sites were bigger problems than others. Mm-hmm. And we started to be able to give those construction companies information which they could use to either carry out interventions. And there's lots of interventions you can do on a construction site to reduce dust and like nitrogen dioxide and all these different pollutants to reduce the amount that's being pushed into the air. And we also gave them something to prove how beneficial the good work is that they're already doing. So a lot of these companies, like we we talked about, a lot of them have got a sustainability plan already. A lot of them have put in amazing pieces of technology today already. And they're saying, look, it's green, it's clean, we're helping people. But until you can actually prove it, it's hard for them to really talk about and promote. So we're giving them kind of two benefits there. It's interesting you mentioned there about the benefit there, really, in that construction company world, that they can actually demonstrate and prove that they are actually making steps and doing things correctly. Because I guess it's easy for a locality, if you like, maybe to sort of, you know, infer that a construction site, especially if it's large, is contributing yeah. to air quality, yeah. et cetera. And if they're able to demonstrate they're controlling that, that's got to be a positive thing, hasn't it? Yeah, exactly. It's kind of a security measure, really. Like it's, yeah. these big buildings go up in the middle of a city and they've got so many eyes on them. And it's so easy to kind of point the finger at this site saying, this is why I get home at night and feel claggy after a day in the office. It's because I've been poured over with all this air pollution that's come from this construction site. But yeah. it's actually not really fair to put all of the point, all the fingers at the construction company. I mean, I don't know. Well, the last time I went into London, especially after lockdown, and I was there for a day, I wasn't near any construction sites, but I came back feeling kind of coated in something. And it really kind of piqued my awareness that this happened across the whole of London. And I think it's a very useful tool to be able to say to neighbours who are constantly whinging at you and actually creating problems in a project. Every single one of these complaints has to get looked at. That's kind of the rule. 
And so lots of complaints can be a big overhead for these construction companies. And yeah. to have something which can say, look, right, we knew there were high levels on this day, but for these seven days, actually, we can prove that we had little effect on the surrounding area. In fact, this is us versus another monitor 200 meters away. Mm -hmm. And we can show that they're very similar levels. This product makes my head go round and round. For, for lots of <laughs> Likewise. <reasons. laughs> for, for lots of reasons as well, like that are quite close to me because, you know, I started off life as an environmental health officer in various departments across the environmental health department. You know, one of those being pollution control where yeah. things like exactly what you were just saying there, like, you know, if somebody makes a statutory nuisance complaint, you know, under the legislation, it has to be investigated. So local authorities in that case can be inundated with these kind of things. What yeah. would have been great, I can think, because if I relate it to another kind of part of pollution, right? So there is going to be some impact on the air if you're in a yeah. construction environment. That's And that's got to be accepted, right? If people... Everybody needs to live somewhere. So we need to build more homes, right? Let's use homes as an example. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a good example. So, and everybody would necessarily agree with that sentiment, but then don't want the construction site at the end of their road. You know, it's that kind of NIMBY type thing. But it would be in pollution control. What you do is you issue certificates to people that have chimneys, et cetera, that they can admit what they admit under the technology solutions that they do and the controls that they have. And then what you do from an enforcement agency is part of that permit is the technical section where you agree with them, all the parameters around there, you know, the combustion rate, uh, you know, how tall the chimney is, all of these types of things, which are contributory towards that. So when we got complaints about that particular outcome, so easy to negate or so easy to deal with, because you'd say, right, you've seen black smoke coming from that chimney. Da, 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 da. you'd go and invite you know because that that shouldn't be happening so how did that happen and then you go and you know and it's all really easy to trace and investigate i can see this product fitting into that type of you know overall environment really well because air quality and you know you can read a million studies that will tell you basically how bad living in a city is you know in that sense mm -hmm. in terms of and it's pockets of everything and and everything being contributory but if you had that type of technology in use on all construction sites and it was linked to planning control so it was enforced and it was you know sort of in that way and then that linked with traffic monitors linked to you know anyone that's got a chimney linked to every other kind of air source that you have out there you know the data doesn't necessarily have to be interlinked itself but all available to each other you know in mm -hmm. in the sense mm -hmm. of being able to build that overall picture so i think that's that's something that's really resonating well. It's part of the overall picture of us understanding the environment we live in. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. In fact, I was on a call earlier with a air quality officer of a city in, in the UK um, talking about how could our data benefit the council? Mm. Because like with two or 3% of construction sites can afford monitoring, it's the same with councils. They have to monitor, right? There's a requirement from DEFRA that they have to monitor and report yeah. on it. But the costs are prohibitive. So they have maybe two or three monitors across the city. Mm -hmm. And when the air quality can change street by street, it doesn't really paint much of a picture. So it's like, how can all these other monitors that probably exist across the city already, how could they be brought together or the data mm -hmm. shared so that yeah. we have a better group understanding of where we live? It would be really useful. I mean, I know local authorities still to this day use diffusion tubes on lampposts yeah, 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 to, to monitor yeah. traffic, you know, which is 
you know, for those of you out there that don't know what that is, that's basically a test tube with a compound in it, which captures noxious gases. You can get a good idea of what the pollution is on a road, but they are just literally an upside down test tube that's bolted to the side of a lamppost high up so people can't get them, obviously. But early part of my career was going around changing diffusion tubes in (laughs) up lampposts. So it's, you know, it's a... It sounds like primitive, doesn't it now? And it sounds insane that that's still in day, you know, and even when, you know, part of the planning process that we were looking at for things like lower Thames crossing was using data collected from diffusion tubes, as well as other monitoring stations as well, but collecting all that together to be able to make, you know, more and more accurate predictions about what the impact of construction was going to be, what the, you know, because you've got the other contributory factors with construction sites that they need deliveries, you know, so the delivery, I'd imagine when you were talking about you know, critical points across the site, the delivery gate must be the sort of one of the biggest, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Especially uh, if you have vehicles turning up and then idling, obviously a bit of a queue, then they sit there with the engines on, they don't turn them off, it idles, it builds up, especially if it's under a bit of a cover or something, it builds up a real concentration of nitrogen dioxide and you'll have people walking, working, whatever in that area all the time. Actually, what has been interesting as well, especially in the last I think the last few installations, people see us putting these monitors up and they kind of expect it to be like CCTV or something like that. And they're asking, what are you doing there? And we tell them, yeah, we're we're monitoring the air. We're looking at kind of our impacts on communities and because there's so many health associations with air quality now. And the number of people who are asking for their own reasons, like, are you helping to protect us? Like, what are you finding? How healthy is our site? Has really been like amazing. I came into this construction industry with never working in this space before, and I probably had the stereotype of people working on construction sites, but it's been completely smashed by people who are really conscious about their impacts on the wider world, but also on their own health. So it's really interesting to see that it's swinging where everyone's thinking about sustainability. Yeah, it's been very, very interesting and rewarding to be able to tell people what we're seeing. And it kind of loops back to that point as well, doesn't it? That it is that global word. It's that global piece around sustainability that is connecting us all together. So just another use case then for the technology is, you know, when we spoke before, you mentioned about social housing. So what's the context of the product within sort of the outside of the construction environment? Yeah, so social housing, these guys will manage, own, operate usually tens of thousands of housing stock. And they don't have abundance of people in their teams who can go around and do whatever. They have to prioritize all the work that comes in. They have to be very efficient about how they review their stock and see which ones are suitable for tenants and what have you. And so one of the biggest challenges is like is stock management or mm. asset management. And if you imagine one of these housing associations with yeah tens of thousands of properties, some built maybe 30 years ago, some 20 years ago, some 10 years ago, some brand new, they've all been built slightly differently. Some have better thermal kind of thermal efficiency than others. Some are got massive damp and mold problems. Like it's all these different things they're trying to understand about their stock. And air quality monitors are a great way to look out how an asset is performing. So we can, by looking at things like temperature and humidity, and CO2 and particulate matter, we can understand whether we think there's a damp or mold problem. Mold spores produce kind of PM 2.5 and CO2 is a great way of understanding how ventilated. I'm, actually, I'm sure CO2 is not a, from the pandemic. Everyone understands the importance of ventilation and good CO2 levels. So we can work out things like that as far as 
a property is concerned, but they also have a duty as a social housing company for the health of their tenants. Mm -hmm. So we can see whether the environment that someone's living in is healthy enough. And to give you an example, we recently found out that with one of our clients that there was a mother with two children. Those two children had fairly, well, had some really bad respiratory problems. And we found out the indoor air quality was similar to Jakarta. And Jakarta is one of the top 10 most polluted cities in the world, probably four or five times worse than London, depending on how you look at it. And living in those sorts of environments can have a massive impact on your day-to-day living, can create respiratory problems, and over a long period can really affect someone's life. I don't know if you saw the Elicus Deborah case that has in London, I think it's 2018. It's the first time a coroner has put down air pollution as the cause of death. So a girl died in, I think it was in Lambeth or one of the south boroughs of London. Yeah, from air pollution. So we're really starting to understand, especially for children, how, I'd say deadly, but how much of a risk air pollution can be to their health. Yeah, I did some work, some research projects around indoor air quality in a commercial setting we yeah. were looking at, you know, we were looking at office space, but, but you know, it's it's all the things that people just don't realise about the quality of the air, like carbon dioxide, again, being a really good example that if you've got an over-concentration of carbon dioxide in the air, then it can really affect your ability to be able to, your cognitive performance, you know, it, yeah. so anything you're doing where you have to think or creativity or, you know, even in that kind of social context, if you're living at home trying to manage children and keep the house tidy <laughs> and cook dinner at the same time, it's, you know, it's all a kind of big stress provider as well in that, in the same world. So that's really interesting. I mean, it's a real flip, isn't it, in terms of the use, but I suppose... <laughs> If you think about it, there aren't that many areas where monitoring the air quality wouldn't be of benefit, right? Yeah, I mean, there's other industries we've thought about, like you're saying there, with productivity or just general kind of comfort levels. The workplace is a great one as well. But as a small business, you have to focus. <laughs> we, we can't spread ourselves too thin. So th- those are the two areas we're focusing on. But like, I mean, everyone's waking up to this problem and we're starting to see interest from other areas as well now. Yeah, it's, it's definitely going to evolve, no doubt. We just need to keep our focus on, well, these two for now, construction and social housing. Definitely. And they're two ones that, as we've been discussing, they have a really good, they do have a really good linkage generally to what everyone's doing and what everyone's around. You mentioned a little bit there earlier about feedback. So I'd be interested to hear like a few things around, especially feedback from the construction industry generally about, you know, sort of how your customers are responding to the product. And and if, you know, if you've got any other kind of anecdotal bits about how the public have reacted really in that sense. So, yeah, so in construction, one of the biggest benefits is just this ability to have conversations with what we call like sense, what they call sensitive receptors. So people who are living nearby who are sensitive to air pollution, it could be a school or it could be on one site, their client is actually the university and the master of the college of that university lives five meters away from the construction site. And so it's overlooking the whole construction site. So it's very visible and they can, with this data, they can go and talk to proactively to her and say, look, we are going to the extent to really understand this and understand how it affects you personally and affects you as a client. So they found that very helpful. And with another site manager, actually another site in the same city, 
the site manager, this is the point we're making about everyone being kind of interested in sustainability. And the site manager was talking about how he actually, one of his biggest concerns with the site is thinking about how it affects a nearby retirement village, a retirement home, uh-huh. lots of vulnerable people who are very, always walk around the site and always asking questions. And Christian now has got the information to be able to go, look, we're measuring this and we could see this and we can't see that. And it's given them a lot of comfort knowing that there's not a lot of problems that we're seeing. And mm. it's given him a lot of comfort knowing that at the end of the day, he can go home and not be worried about this thing, which has been stressing him out. The stories popping up like that, which just make this whole thing worthwhile. We never predicted. Yeah, it's really, really positive to hear people using this data in those ways. Yeah, accidental consequences of things can often be really yeah. nice. You can, uh, yeah, it's, it's great when something works in that way, isn't it, really? Yeah. So what's the journey like now? I appreciate, you know, at the moment, it's probably just pedal to the metal and, and, <laughs> and, try, and trying to make sure you don't, you know, everything doesn't fall out, I guess. But, but exactly, kind of, yeah. what's the relative short term plan? You know, your sort of five, 10 year objectives. What are you looking to? Yeah, I mean, growth is a big one, right? We need to be, as a business, we want to scale, we want to hire people, we want to make our technology even more insightful. There's a backlog of ideas of things we would love to do that we just want to make happen. So really it's head down, working with clients, especially in the construction space, talk about how do you make this monitoring thing, not just kind of an edge case for half of your sites. How do you make it kind of the standard for all of your sites? Because that gives us much more insight into them as a business as well and and construction activities. So that's a big focus. And it's really like, we I mean, we've talked about construction, social housing. Like we know there's lots of sectors out there who could get a lot of value out of our technology. So we're always keeping our kind of eyes peeled for companies who are showing interest in air quality. And I mean, this goes back to kind of my pre-compare experience, which is listening, learning, innovating our products, shaping it in a way which is useful for them. So we want to be doing more of that and finding those other industries. You capture a lot, right? In terms of, you know, what you were talking about earlier, you know, in is that all in one sensor that all that data is all collected? Yeah, so the monitor is basically a device with a comms unit and a massive array of sensors. So we can swap these sensors in and out. We can recently we added nitrogen dioxide and we added sound because that's one of the clients asked for. So it's it's capturing all of these things and just sending them back every every minute or so to us. So it's super adaptable. If someone came along and said, look, my biggest worry is ultrafine particles, which yeah. is this kind of pollutant that people are thinking is going to be the next one. Ultrafine being what's called 0.1 microgram, which is probably about a hundredth to five hundredth the diameter of a piece of hair. Mm. So, so small that it's even more invisible. And it's unfortunately, it's so small that we breathe it in and it very easily crosses into our blood and into our organs and Mm. we're starting to understand it more. So if someone came along, say a hospital and said, look, we've got vulnerable people. We're worried about this pollutant, ultrafine particles. We would love to sit down and kind of build a business case to go right how do we help you understand and tackle this problem excellent again my you know it sends my brain racing in terms of, <laughs> in terms of stuff so this is definitely the journey of compare is one that i'll track and follow because i think that it's a really you know what you're doing is great but you know what you're doing is great now but the potential for the stuff that can happen in the future you know in that way and i can see how it slots into everything i guess 
I don't know. I think because it does very much speak to the early part of my, you know, sort of professional journey. Yeah. I think that, that, you know, it sort of very much resonates in my in my tiny little mind in that sense. Um, <laughs> we always give our guests the opportunity to answer a challenging question. So we now have a brand new prime minister. If you had the opportunity to have lunch with Miss Truss, what would be your objective? What would you be trying to leave that meeting with? I mean, there's a glaring one for me, which is the World Health Organization. So completely independent to any country looking at these problems as a globe, they changed their standards for what they would define as safe air last year. So September 2021, it always takes forever for these things to cascade down into countries and then mm-hmm. councils and businesses. But like this problem isn't going away and isn't slowing down and time is literally of the essence. So why is it taking so long? So I would be questioning her about how do we get these new standards implemented in the UK and, and local councils sooner. And in a meaningful way as well, I guess, in that sense. Yeah, brilliant. Great stuff. So for the listener out there, how do they find out more about you or get hold of you? Yeah, sure. So our website is compair, so C-O-M-P-A-I-R dot earth. There's a compare air compressor. That's not us. It's compare.earth. My email is tom at compare.earth. And if you're interested in this topic, either from your work for someone who's showing interest in air quality, or you think you'd be interested in air quality, or you've got an academic interest into it, or you just want to sign up for the newsletter, then drop me an email, get in touch. We're really like just at this point in the business where we're learning and wanting to speak to everyone. So yeah, please, please just get in touch. Great stuff. Really enjoyed the conversation, Tom. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks thank for joining you, us. Excellent. Thank you for listening, everyone. We'll see you again next time on Carbon Times.